Welcome to Profiling Criminal Minds. I'm Dan. And I'm Dr. Redmond. And uh, we're here. We, yeah. we made it. Season 14, Criminal Minds is over, everybody. And this is the episode that killed it. Uh, it, it is. Um, this season is trash from beginning to end. You know, I got no compunctions about saying that. I don't think I'm going to get any pushback from you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Need I even say it aloud? Uh, this, was, this was the season that I basically PVR'd because I didn't want to watch it. I know. This is the season I'm, where this I'm is a true story. Fine. She watched the last episode of the season. And I was still doing my reviews of season thir- uh No, uh, it was near the end of 12 when this thing aired. Uh, oh, no, beginning of 12 when this thing aired. And so she phones me up and she's like, how far are you into the show? <laughs> Because I need to talk about how bad this season ender was. <laughs> that's that's that was the actual reaction you had to this show. I, this is not oh. hyperbole. This is what actually happened. Oh, it was just unbelievable. And the ride to get there is pretty. To getting there is pretty damn terrible. Yeah. All right, so um, let's get into it. All right, synopsize away. See vous play. 300. It's the 300th episode. They always do that with the episode. No, 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 no. That's not what they called it. 300. No, no, no. no. They came up with an episode uh, title within the episode to justify calling it 300. It's the first time they've done that, but it is the 300th episode. And that's why it's called that. Yeah, no, no. But I'm just saying, like, don't don't defend them with their ridiculous... (laughs) You know, prideful, we'll call the 100th episode 100, and then 200, and then, come on, guys. Just, don't, don't cover for them. They don't, they haven't earned it. Okay, this is another one of Glenn and Erica's, uh... Oh, really? Yeah, episodes. Well, I could be, pretend to be surprised if you wanted. They, uh, 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 they started the, uh, they, they definitely started off the season with a bang. <laughs> I think they almost hit bottom. Yeah. And I guess I guess they kind of bounced so that they lasted for another 20 episodes or something. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, no, they lasted. This is the 25 episodes. There's 25 this episodes of Criminal Minds left. Here. And yeah. then 10 in the last season. Yeah. yeah. So they get, you know, so they managed to sort of, I don't know, but I just don't. No. All I'm right. S- synopsize. You have a synopsis to read. <laughs> I know. When Messianic cult leader Benjamin David Merva and his followers take Reed and Garcia hostage, the BAU juggles rescuing their colleagues and stopping Merva from carrying out a sinister agenda. <laughs> they can't, yeah, they can't stop from doing one more juggling. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm right there with you. It's that just- dumb can't help it and you will be happy to know that i was not the only the only person who who had a real tough time coming on to season 14 because it had 4.45 initial viewers million and uh, yeah yeah and uh, i'm not shocked that people would not want to keep watching this show after that season ender uh, but we'll get there all right so this is the episode um they have to hunt down uh, the cult, and it, it starts off rather ridiculously. 
uh, with the, them trying to figure out what has happened. You know, re, everybody's disappeared. Owen has been shot. Uh, they don't know where Reed and Penelope are. Everyone's freaking out. I mean, understandably. Like, no one's going to say they don't have a reason to freak out. So they go and they look for them. And they find out that Reed has, uh, has escorted with the FBI agent Mole. Has escorted, uh, oh my god, um, Theo out of the building. Theo? Theo. I was, I forgot his name for a second. Uh, escorted Theo out of the building, along with them. And here's where it gets, uh, questionable. So then he's given a hand signal, and here is what he has chosen to, the message he has chosen to give in sign language is, there's no good way to describe this, the dumbest message he could possibly give. He writes, Ben's Believers. Sorry, runs Signs. Ben's Believers. And you're like, well, what could that possibly mean? Well, the head of the cult is named Ben, and they're called the Believers. So, why would you, like, why would you give a message, a quote-unquote secret message to them, that gives them zero new information? And what he imagined they got out of this is that they're actually the followers of Luke Perry's character from back in season four, Benjamin Cyrus. <sighs> now, how could you possibly interpret that from him signing Ben's Believers? Yes, since this guy is also called Benjamin. Exactly. Just to make it clear. You're right. I should yeah, no, I'm going... This guy is also well, but I mean, I didn't think I had to. You said it in the synopsis that he's named Benjamin. Yes, I know, but people have to understand. That's true. And it That's took true. them forever going through Benjamin and David and his names, and his real name was like James, and like these are all biblical names. Oh, give me! Why didn't Why didn't we just say Benjamin Cyrus? Benjamin there. Cyrus. Done. That's it. Problem yeah. solved. Maybe no. he didn't know. Maybe he of course he knew. That. He has a photographic oh, memory. Oh, whoa, oh, 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 oh. Please. Maybe he didn't know what the sign would be for Cyrus. No, he spelled it out. There's no sign for Ben. He spelled, oh, that's he's, right. That's he right. signed out the yes. word. So why didn't he sign out and Cyrus? Cyrus. Yeah, no, no. Really good question. <laughs> Very good question why he didn't just sign out Cyrus. And then they would have gotten there. We wouldn't have so had to go. So much faster. Well, we wouldn't have had to go through the, the problematic of their going through biblical names. Not just the biblical and, names, but the scene where it's like, uh, Emily going, she stood in the doorway like she was trying to see if I recognized her. You've worked in the same building for a decade, and yeah. this is the moment she gets nervous that someone's going to recognize her? Like, <sighs> I mean, Reed didn't even recognize her, and she and worked supposedly in the building. Got a photograph, and he supposedly got a photographic memory. And she spoke, but maybe Reed wasn't there when she spoke to the team. We'd have to go back and see. And check, that's true. She might have, but uh, she might not have been. But, but even though so, she's been in the building, and she's been in VICAP for, what, 10 years? Yeah, ten, well, she's worked her way up to VICAP af over 10 years. And by the way, just yeah. for the record, the reason we call this one of the stupidest episodes of television ever is... There is no way a person in the witness protection program could join the F could, no could join the FBI. It yeah. could not happen because right. part of joining the FBI is having a background check done. And that background check would reveal that nothing about this woman is true. And they would say, why is nothing about you true? 
And she would say, oh, well, I'm in the witness relocation program. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's got no family. She's got no actual history. Uh, there's there's no conceivable way someone could go from being in a cult like that to being in the FBI. Like, this whole episode, this whole, the whole premise of this could not happen. Just yeah, that's, that is a flat fact. The one before and this one. Like, yeah. it, like the whole thing is just like... The reveal I, is completely ludicrous and nonsensical. That's right. Yeah. The ludicrous and nonsensical. Okay, and if we're talking about Reed and his hints, why the hell didn't he just say whatever it was? Jeremiah 1023 or whatever. Yeah. yeah he, why he, did, he, he, why said, did he just say 1023? Or 1031 or, or something. 10, no, it was right? 1023. You're right. Yeah. yeah. So you know, why didn't he just... He had time to also say the book he was referencing. Like, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'd have to go back and watch the episode to find out which one. Oh, by the but... way, I, I think my favorite part of it is that it's like what he's referencing is um, leave from there and go to another place. Right. Like, really? Go, Give me a freaking. Oh, it's Jesus. It's Matthew. <laughs> it's that Matthew, was it. Okay. It was Matthew. It's Matthew. And that's when when uh, Jesus sort of does that peric- supposedly. Yeah. And this is one of those ones where Jesus probably didn't say this, that this yeah. is a later, a la- like, a reflects. A later it's edition, an, yeah. Well, no, no, it's not a later edition. It reflects, it's an anachronism. It reflects oh, okay. what's happening at a later time, right? Right, um, okay, and okay. So, so he has Jesus say, uh, you know, that, that, uh, if you go into a if you go into a village or a town or whatever and they won't hear your message then you know you you basically it's this business of you walk out and you and you shake the dust off of your feet and woe betide oh, them oh that's the, what judgment. that line that okay that's what that line is you know it basically refers okay. to that particular part i'd actually come to think of it i should have looked it up you know yeah. now that i'm i'm going i mean i'm saying that that's the 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 pericope, but, um, you know, I didn't look, I didn't go and pull out my Oxford edition okay. of the revised stand, the new revised standard version to double check it out. But, um, in fact, it, in fact, that wouldn't have been the language that would have been in a revised standard version, but never mind. They probably, that's not used. the important part. Yeah. No, <laughs> the, but the point is, yeah, I mean, I mean, there is a, a bigger part to, to all of that. Right. Yeah. Um, well, no, but I want but, what I want to point out is right. So he's like, "This is the message I've got to get to Penelope, and Penelope's and, got to get to the team, right?" And the message is, "Go from that place to another place," and that is the that is the message that is so important that he gets to the team. To which I respond, I, I don't think without cause. Um, what? How is that such an important message that you have to get it to the team when you already had I like Penelope? eyewitness saw them loading everything they owned into trucks and they made her hack into the system so they could move the trucks out of state. And to which I respond, so the the secret message you want to give was they're going to go to a new hideout. <laughs> you saw them planning to go to a new hideout. You don't need a secret message for that. She can just tell them. And she does just tell them. It is the most useless, like, in this episode, Spencer Reed gives two completely useless secret messages. Well, let me tell you this. I mean, obviously, they needed to fill up 42 minutes and 37 oh seconds, right? It was barely so, an episode. I mean, plot-wise. 
Uh, Plot-wise, it's it's so ridiculous. Almost nothing happens this week. It's crazy. It's it's absolutely crazy, except that that we get we get those flashbacks. I mean, they don't even bother, you know. They they just don't go get footage, right? From yeah. I mean, hopefully, Luke Perrier is he dead now? Oh no, Luke, uh, he has died now. He wasn't dead then, yes. and yes, of course, he got paid. It would have been nice yeah, if they had had new yeah. footage showing, like, if they had brought him back to like have a scene with him and Michael Hogan. Like, uh, he must have, and like, just a scene where he whispers something to Michael Hogan to tie it all together, but I'm sure they couldn't afford to do that. It's season 14, they're only getting 15 episodes, their budget has been cut way back. No I'm sure they could, like, they could afford to license, (laughs) no, I know, right? Um, they could afford to license the footage of, uh, like, to pay him the fee to reshow that footage, but I think would have cost too much to actually bring him back, if that's something they even consider. If he was willing to come back. I'm sure. I mean, hey, there's one thing I know about Luke Perry. I saw Luke Perry at a convention once, and he became one of my favorite people ever. Yeah. Uh, because he talked uh, two stories that uh, just made me love this man. Uh, the first one was the first one was that he had talked to Ian Zaring. Uh, he had had lunch with Ian Zaring, and Ian Zaring was like, they offered me this terrible movie, Sharknado, and I don't know if I should do it or not. And Luke Perry's response was, are they going to pay you? Well, of course. <laughs> like, there you go. Do the movie. Who cares? <laughs> you know? Here's how bad Michael it is. Michael Caine. Theory yeah, is of there a, he's acting. Yeah, it's like, it's a check to I check. I am an actor. Yeah. And he's like, Luke Perry's response was, will the money spend? Yes. Well, then why are you asking me? Go do the job. It's a job you don't have to audition for. They're just giving you the job. Go get it. Uh, so that and um, the, the best was that he's like um, the in the third season because in the third season of um, uh, 90210, he's like uh, the the like Miata I had been driving up until that point because when I was just you know going auditions I had never got a new car even as all the money came in because I knew the job the show could get canceled at any moment but it was the third season I was making a lot of money I said for the first time in my life I'm gonna go out and buy a new car. And so I went to the dealership and I bought a new truck. And as I was driving out of the dealership, I couldn't get it out of my head that this truck is now 50% as valuable just because I drove drove it off the dealership. And I realized that, no, I'm just not comfortable buying a new car. And I've only ever bought used cars the rest of my life. (laughs) So, yes. He was a wonderful man. He was a very pragmatic yeah. individual. And 100%, if they had offered him a check to come back, he would have come back. Yeah. Because he just, he did, you know, he was not fussy about his career in that way. Yeah. And it's one of the many reasons I respect him as a person. Uh, but yes, yeah, so he absolutely would have come back if he could, uh, like, if they had offered him that role. I'm sure that he would have. Uh, so yes, it's, it's very frustrating that they don't do that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I really like Michael Hogan. He doesn't have a lot to do in this episode, but he's fun. No. He's yeah. he's always fun. It's Michael Hogan. Uh, like just yeah. a wonderful. As we said last time we talked about it, it's like, if you need a Canadian tough guy, you, uh, you go and you get Michael Ironside. And if Michael Ironside's not available, you get Michael Hogan. Yeah. And that's, that's, <laughs> that is how it works. And he's great. Like, he's always been great. I'm a big fan. I loved him on Battlestar Galactica for years. You know, I'm always happy whenever I see him in a movie. And he's really good here. You know, he doesn't have much to do, but he does a really fun job as just a crazy nonsense religious guy. Yeah, he does a good job. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, like, I, but but then again, we, 
generally speaking, don't ever complain about the acting. Almost ne- yeah, we, we will almost <laughs> never complain never, about almost. a performance. Even yeah. when we were watching Zelda Williams, like, we're like, what the hell is this woman doing? And we're like, yeah, but she doesn't have a part. Like, the script is not helping her. Like, no, the she script is giving her nothing to play. Nothing to, yeah, nothing to play. If you've yeah. got a lousy script, it's real hard if you manage yeah. to make anything of it, right? It's true. Yeah, so we couldn't even blame Zelda Williams for that episode. Uh, no, not completely. No, not because really. I'm sure she was getting she was getting messages about what how she was supposed to do it. Oh yeah, I know. I I'm sure that's true. You know. Oh, so, now I have to get into um, the reason I completely checked out of the show. Like after after watching, um, uh, sorry, False Flag, you have to completely intellectually check out of the world of Criminal Minds. Because that episode is so dumb, like on every level, and so crippling to the rest of the season that you just kind of intellectually check out and understand that, yeah, on some level, nothing that happens on Criminal Minds for the rest of the show's run is ever really going to make sense after you get an episode as bad as False Flag. But after this episode, I completely emotionally checked out of the show as well. And this is the thing I brought up last time, and you told me to stop talking about it, and you save it for today. Well, it's today. So we're going to talk about it. <laughs> we, we made it to today. Oh, God. Here's yes. my question to you. Yeah. We made it to today. And here's my question to you. How does Spencer Reed have a job after the events of this episode? He He went in and he kidnapped someone in the FBI's protective custody to turn them over to a cult to save his friend's life, and that person got killed. Spencer Reed turned over Theo to be executed by a cult, and the cult executed Theo. And that's Spencer Reed's fault. He knowingly said, the chance of getting my friend out alive is worth sacrificing the life of this person. And he sacrificed that person's life. And there's no other, I mean, can you find another way to describe his actions? Is there another way to describe his actions? Or am I accurately, am I being unfair to Spencer Reed? No, like, no, because, oh, I mean, I've I've got a snarky reply. Okay. Snark away. But they're family. (laughs) Don't you know they're family? They're just so family and family never, Family looks ever, never, they'll ever. do everything to protect their family, and including killing an innocent person. Who was the hero? Who was the greatest hero this show has ever depicted? Uh, the possible exception of that time, um, Aaron beat the, uh, yeah. <laughs> beat the Reaper to death with his bare hands. That was pretty good, too. <laughs> but it's like, no, the the man was a hero. He overcame a lifetime of cult brainwashing. He killed his nefarious parents and he exposed a deadly serial killing cult. And his reward for this heroism was to be turned over by to me. the cult to be executed by the person who he had gone to for help. Yeah. Reed betrayed and murdered this kid. 
And yeah. there will be no consequences for Spencer Reed. Yep. Talk about checking out of the show. How can you emotionally, like, how can you care that Spencer Reed gets a girlfriend in season 15? You know? Like, how can you emotionally connect to anything? Spencer Reed murdered Theo. And you can say, well, actually, it was the people who shot him in that fracas and blah, blah, blah. Spencer Reed knew the likely outcome of yeah. what would happen if he turned Theo over to the cult. But he did it anyway because his friend was in danger. The idea that he has a job after this is obscene. The idea that he can go back into work the next day and be like, well, back to work. How could anyone in the FBI trust him ever again? Because all you would have to do is threaten uh, Reed's uh, family and Reed will do whatever you say. Yeah. This is why the adage is we don't negotiate with terrorists. Because once it's known that you negotiate with terrorists, they can get you to do anything they want. Yeah. And Spencer Reed has proven that he will do anything they want because he killed a legitimate hero. And again, it might seem hyperbolic for me to say that Spencer Reed actually killed him. Because someone else fired the shot that did it, but Spencer Reed turned him over to be executed, and I don't see that there's a moral difference between those. No, actions. and Reed knew he would he knew. be executed. Yep. 100%. And did he really? Did he really think he and Garcia were going to get off? No, I mean, well, Erica Messer wrote it. Glenn Kershaw directed it. Who cares? I know. You know, I mean, it, it is. It was. It. It was just so, and it doesn't really make an awful lot of sense. Yeah. I guess, so Reed is was special, so therefore his hyoid bone was going to lead all of the other 299 <laughs> angels to take care of the cult. Is yeah. that the, the rationale? That's their logic, yeah. Yeah, you know, and, um, you know, uh, it, it's... Um, uh, I gotta say, he ain't much of a guardian. <laughs> I think Theo would debate you on whether or not Reed was a guardian. Yeah. If he were able will, to. If he were able to. The, uh, then the other thing, I mean, it does affect the way that you view, okay, Spencer Reed going forward. Like, in yeah. terms of our our meta, our meta Reed. Reed. Like, yeah. I don't even, as we go along, it's like, how does this even fit into our, it does actually fit into our meta Reed. Yeah, because he is so codependent with these people, he yeah. will give away all of his principles to protect yeah. this ersatz family that he that has replaced the complete lack of a family he had as a child. Yeah, like he is so desperate to keep this, you know, yeah. family of choice going that he will sacrifice all of his supposed principles to keep it going. Yeah. And the set the disturbing part is that there are no consequences for him having done that. But then again, as you say, there are never consequences for these people. They're family. They're family. Do you know how many times... It doesn't times... matter if you're an FBI agent or a computer hacker or, yes, a director of photography. If you're family, there's no consequences. See, there's... this time I did it instead of you okay. having to it's jump into it. Okay, have to jump into it. Yeah, and that is... It's... Um, I mean, this is around when... So I wonder how many episodes of the season do you think by October 3rd, 2018, yeah. would there have been? Oh, um, by October 3rd, they've shot at least, um, I mean, because this started at the normal time, right? When, when did this episode originally air? 
October 3rd, 2000. Oh, yeah, so, okay. Uh, by the time the first episode aired, generally the rule of thumb in TV production, by the time the first episode of season has aired, they have filmed the first six episodes as a general rule. Okay, so, yeah. so that means that they would have done up to Luke, so we'll have to watch afterwards because... It's in this this October when is when, when it all starts idiot, to come down. The idiot is given his massive buyout. Yeah. To leave, so yes. we'll have to watch to see whether there's any in the episode noticeable difference yeah. in the level of photography. Yeah, in the episodes after Luke. Okay. Just, we will just absolutely to, keep an eye on that. To keep an eye out for that, but yes, I'm glad that you did it this time. But you know, I mean, <laughs> well, you know, I knew you were going to, so I thought, you know what? I always, she always does it, and then I chastise her for only seeing it through that lens. But you know what? She's right this time, one hundred percent. I cannot argue uh, with that reading of this scene because, because my good God, it is constant these three episodes all you get is family 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 keep your mouth shut keep your mouth shut don't let anybody ever call you in and tell you that this and and you tell them that this was a hostile work environment because i tell you that's what's coming down Mm -hmm. that's what's coming down in all of this because what if this goes to trial i know and if this goes to trial these people are going to get up there and say, well, no, it didn't create a hostile work environment. And Jim Clemente, like after watching episode, the third episode, for whatever reason, it just like, boom, Jim, Jim Clemente, an actual F- retired F- FBI agent was sitting there as it, cause he's a producer on the show too. He's on set when they're filming it, at least when they're filming his episodes. So was he not seeing any of this behavior? Over 14 years? Over four, well, 13 years? 13 years? Well, no, because he was only the DP for 12 of those, but yeah. Because he only became no, the no. DP in season three, right? No, he became oh, the Oh, season DP two, season yes. Two. So yeah, 13 when? years. So over 13 years. But he was right. on set in the first season. Yeah, but he didn't have any authority in the first season. I'm sure the bad behavior only started when he was, he was put in charge. That's generally how predators work. Yeah. They, you know, they once they get it, their power, then they go hog wild with it. Yeah. Uh, so that wouldn't shock me at all. But yeah, so we're talking about at least twelve years of see of this happening, this toxic environment to some degree or another, and Jim Clemente's there the whole time. Yeah. And he doesn't see anything. And he doesn't see anything. Like I'm sitting here, thinking about this, and I'm going. I don't know why at the end of episode three. I think well, you know what? When we get to episode three, we'll we'll talk about that. Well, we'll try and figure out what it is about episode three that, that triggered brought, that in that, you. that yeah. triggered that as I'm watching and I at the the end credits and and Jim Clemente's name comes up and it's just like and you're like you goddamn sh- well should have known better. Yeah, you know what yeah. the hell is the FBI for? If you don't even notice this going on all around you, and or if you, you did don't. notice it, you're keeping your mouth shut. Yeah. What the hell are you for, Jim? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Particularly um, since he was sexually abused as a child. I know. That's well, the really sickening years. part. And, he, yeah. and that is real because he has it. It's on the internet. It's in his book. He has. It's in his. Oh, he's got a book. I thought he had a book, didn't he? No, I don't know. Oh, no. He he's a, just talked no, about it. You're right. He just talked about it on the blogs and in interviews. Yeah. Yeah. So don't tell me he doesn't know how serious this stuff is. We know yeah. he knows how serious this is. Yeah, so why? 
Why, Jim? Right. Anyway, I, as I said, it's 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 due. I think it really. I'm going to have to listen to his podcast. Oh, 100. percent We're going to be checking into Jim Clemente's podcast. Believe you me, that is okay. that All is happening. 259 episodes. Seriously? Oh my god! I thought we were bad. <laughs> well, they do. One, he's been one doing it two, and he's been doing it two years longer than we have. So there you go. All right, uh, three years longer than we have, I guess. Yeah, three years longer, yeah. Uh, Okay, so we're probably not going to catch up to his podcast if he keeps doing it, but maybe we can shame him into not doing it anymore. Okay, that was a cold thing to say. I'm sorry, I should not. Well, particularly since one of the... Now, here's the other thing. Uh, because we we're going to deal with this for sure as one of our Tuesday podcasts, because of course I'm sitting here and I'm looking at his two co-hosts and one yeah. of them was the casting director for criminal minds. Oh, damn. All right. Yeah, we're going to talk, just... we're going to talk about this going forward. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, okay. So let's get back to the actual episode we're here to talk about, which is, all right. So I talked about how disgusting it is what the show does to Theo and what more importantly, the character of Spencer Reed does to Theo. And I mean, by the way, Hey, maybe I missed something. Is Owen alive at the end of the episode or not? Well, I I had thought Owen was part of the cult, but he's not. No, no, no. He got, he was not part of the cult. That's just something they thought at the end of the uh, last episode, but really it was the lady from the, uh, the lady of the cult. Yeah. But no, Owen was completely joking. innocent. No, he was completely innocent. Okay, well, I for whatever reason, no, but that was my takeaway, not the last episode, from the last episode. But it was the first time I watched it, the, yeah. these two episodes, you can tell how much I paid attention to. <laughs> and even this time I'm going, oh, I guess Owen wasn't. Yeah. And that's yeah. why I kind of go, but no, Spencer Reed. Spencer Reed, yes. I mean, there there are books about toxic families. Yeah. Okay, and I have done definitely some work on like, <laughs> uh, on toxic families, and I have done, and I did this whole whole uh, workshop, three day workshop at Harvard on toxic families. Wow! Yeah, that was back in the eighties, um, and it, uh, yeah, late eighties, I think. Um, but it was, um, oh my my God! I mean, it, I, this episode. It's Drive, upsetting. It, it just drove me crazy. And even how it ends, you know, so. Just, but uh, seriously, I, I get to the end of the episode. And I'm like, is Owen what? dead or not? Yeah. Because I have no idea if Owen is alive at the end of these two episodes. He's alive when they put him into the ambulance. And yeah. then, like, nobody ever mentions Owen again. Maybe he died. Maybe well, he here, didn't die. Here, guess what? What? The BAU made a mistake not taking him seriously. Of course they did. And therefore, they don't want to mention Owen because it will bring up the fact that they they made a mistake. They did something wrong. That's true. And remember, the BAU is... Infallible. Infallible and, you know... Yeah, and and um, is the absolute pinnacle of law enforcement and and then can never be questioned. But yeah, you're right. Within the meta narrative of this world, well, yeah. of course they have to sweep Owen under the rug. He makes them all look terrible. Yeah. He found a he found a prolific serial killing cult. They killed you know? 299 people, people up to this point. And the, this team had no idea that it was happening, and they dismissed Owen. Yeah, you know, they I dismissed also, Owen. Yeah. How many people? More people did they kill 
over that year, right? Yeah. Over that year where between Owen bringing this to them and Owen reappearing with the evidence. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like how many more people did their ignoring Owen get killed? Yeah. That's and, a question and, we don't get answered. Yeah, no. And it's really funny, eh? Because because I'm sure that, that Erica must have watched an episode of Bones. Why? Because oh well, because oh, Bones does this whole thing with all of these all of these bones, right? And the missing bones with that like because they have all of these in in the Smithsonian where they work, they have just um uh, little little shells and each little drawer has like bones of people different people and it relates oh, okay. to cool. one of their s- super serial killers right who keeps right, coming right, to right, destroy right. their lives you know i mean it's over bones stuff again. right yeah. but i'm just going oh oh or somebody in the writing room said well geez maybe that hyoid bone stuff you know yeah like we, just like on bones <laughs> you know uh, we we'll can, do we just can like bones does it. it's great yeah yeah, you know, and and it's it was it's only because I saw the last episode of Bones where they finally get this guy, right? But right, okay. And they well, don't. Yeah, make we talked the about stupid, that the other way. They they yeah. don't make the stupid mistake <laughs> of going in all alone, <laughs> <laughs> the way the team here does, and gets one of their members killed, who yeah. obviously didn't fit in with the family. <laughs> he was an yeah. outsider. He wasn't part of. The he family. doesn't deserve protection. He's not part of the family. That's it's right. not beholden upon uh, so I, to protect yeah. this guy. Yeah. So anyway, um, they find these guys using the most ridiculous profiling maybe the show's ever done, which is literally, they're Bible obsessed, right? Well, I <laughs> bet they would move to a town that had the word Eden in its name. Like, no, oh, there's no towns named Eden within the range. What about synonyms for Eden? Like, what? <laughs> Oh my God! Come on! Oh, and the town and the rest of it. I know. Also, seriously, yeah. And we had this... to listen to friggin' Bible verses. What did somebody? Did Erica get get religion between the two seasons? Maybe. Between the two seasons or something? So we got all these Bible passages because they quoted them. Right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> they're reading them out. Well, I yeah, guess that's doing, doesn't... you know, well, for everything there is a season. Jesus. And then Reed quoting, yes, Ecclesiastic, but not quite getting it right. But anyway. No, but he gets stuff wrong a lot. For a guy with a photographic memory, he actually gets his quotes and facts wrong a surprisingly large amount. It was funny because there was a pod, there was a podcast yeah. that was or somebody was talking about this. It was about talking about memory. Oh, it's something called Anyway, it's an on an ideas episode okay. on the CBC, right? And so they were talking about famous, famous quotes that you people always, you always get, get wrong. wrong. Yeah, right. And one of and one of them was the one that Reed used the from dirty, uh, dirty Harry, the Dirty Harry that everyone gets wrong. Yeah, the Dirty Harry, and yeah. also of course the Play It Again, Sam. Yeah, right? you played it for, Which, and it's actually you played it for her. You play, you can play it for me. Play for me. it, Sam. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the actual one. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, never mind. But it's it's, no, it's yeah. funny. It it is uh, right. It's it, what they call collective memory mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where everyone gets an idea of a line. It's the yeah. same thing that uh, gets reproduced as the Mandela effect, where people oh, remember. Yeah. Yes, the Mandela yeah. effect. Exactly. Because people, people remember. Actually, 
thought remember he died Mandela in died in prison. I'm like, no, like a lot of people who fought apartheid did die in prison. He's just not one of them. He was the president of South Africa. I know for How years, years and years and years. Died in prison. Well, no, like, I mean, and that that's one the thing. Was, that, that one's one pretty baffling. Floored me. Yeah, that when people, people when you find out people, you remember it that way. Yeah, yeah how I agree you, that that's a weird one. That was the weirdest, the weirdest one. Like the other ones, movie lines, right? And yeah. play it against Sam is partly uh, Woody Allen's fault, but never mind. Because yeah, it's um, literally what the movie is called. Because yeah, he calls it. You know, he the and, movie is literally called "Play It Against." Play Sam. it against them, yeah. And I yeah. just, I wanted to watch it again the other day. It's hard to do, and it's, I can't watch. I just can't Woody watch Allen. anything. Yeah, I and he was, I, I, not even going to say that. Like he was, he was, he. I, I, you know, it's sort of like the Kevin Spacey problem. Yeah. That you know, I mean, we are going to have to deal with Kevin Spacey. Oh, we because, are because we're watching. In, we're you know. Style section is happening, people. That's our Wise Guy podcast. It's happening once we finish this thing up. And <clears throat> there's eight episodes of Kevin Spacey that are going to get discussed. You can't, yeah. you know, gloss over Kevin Spacey's contribution to the best show in the history of television. Yeah, no, you can't. And and it's, and it's But we will never do a Woody Allen retrospective. Oh, God, no. No, no. That I man, can't, I can't uh, go and watch the early films. And I can remember... You know, my first husband <laughs> and I killing ourselves laughing going and watching these different films, right? Yeah. Some of them well, were No really one is funny. going to say Woody Allen isn't a talented comedic writer and director. Like, no one's making that argument. We're just saying he's a scumbag who shouldn't be supported. You know? Yeah, and, well, it's it's not... I just can't... I can't bear watching it. It's like I can't listen to Michael Jackson. Just yeah. can't do it. Not, not to take... Like, yeah, but no, I'll listen to Prince. Thank you. Well, no, Prince is fine. Well, Prince, Prince <laughs> never did anything. He was just a Jehovah's Witness who was, you know, had real issues with medicine. And, yeah. you know, okay. some Here. crazy yeah. right-wing beliefs. So, let's get back to it. <laughs> this, one, this one's partially on me. Well, no, this episode just makes us so furious. Like that nonsense of trying to justify the title by saying, there were 300 angels sent to guard Eden. I'm like, nope. There was just the one... His name was Uriel. He had a flaming sword. Yeah, I was sitting there going, what 300? What What are what you talking about? What apocryphal book have you are read? Are you drawing from? I know, right? Yeah, like I like I'm sitting here going and my MA was on the on apocryphal works, right? I know. <laughs> Between <laughs> 300 BCE and 200 CE and I'm going like I knew I could ask the crazy part is I knew I could ask you whether this was nonsense, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't have to answer. Of course, ask her. Of course, it's nonsense. Like, come on, what? But the what? fact that friggin' Tara is the one who's uh, Tara is the one who says out of her, you know, completely out of left field. That's the number of uh, angels who guarded Eden. I'm like, what? Well, okay, and all I can say, can I make another snarky remark? Please. Okay, Erica had to do her own research. <laughs> remember writers yeah. do their own research, research and she now. obviously yeah. didn't do it very well well no she didn't do any research she just made up a lie that she thought sounded good <laughs> excuse me that's 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 too pragmatic <laughs> you're right it would We're be hilarious talking. if she had 
if she had come, somehow come up with some ridiculous fact from a website somewhere. Well, and given, that's why she themed given the other ridiculous that. facts that they ended up getting from websites that they actually believe, uh, okay. she says, yeah, yeah I mean, but it's true. Oh and I'm God. going, you, no, it's you're not. You're going back to the conspiracy. Yes, about all of the alternative medicine people being murdered. Oh this my is, God. This all really happened. No, it didn't. No, that didn't she happen. said that in the commentary. I remember. I knew right away what you were referencing. <laughs> okay. This like now, bonkers conspiracy on, theory. No, okay, let's move on. Let's, no, just, like, let's just forget this because we're okay, going to so then they show up, and, then, and what I kind of love is so <laughs> they have set up like a camp in the woods in um, whatever state in Kentucky, in Arcadia, Kentucky. Right. Um, and the team manages to find out exactly where that camp is in the woods and instantaneously get and get there. Like, I mean, the episode is not clear about how much time is passing at all, nope. but like they're able to instantaneously get to the camp in Arcadia and, and get an entire SWAT team there. They're with them. I'm like more than <laughs> one SWAT team with them. And nobody had any idea that they were coming. I know. Like I like I was I mean if you wanted to talk about silliness right yeah and the idea that Reed Spencer Reed like there's no tension in this this thing oh, of course because Spencer Reed is not going to get killed nope like who's who's who even thinks that Spencer Reed is gonna no get one killed? could imagine for a second they would kill off Spencer Reed the only character who is you know who's a valuable character who could get killed off already has been unceremoniously killed off. So there, you know, so there's no tension at the end of the season. No. We know Penelope is going to be fine. So at the end of this episode, we know Penelope is going to be fine. We know Spencer's going to be fine. So what am I supposed to be afraid of show? Yeah. Okay. You and know? here's, here's, here's the kicker. Here's where we get the, where the, we get the Reed JJ setup. that yes. Reed and JJ and Garcia are the, are the three that are the closest because they've been there together from the beginning. And I'm going, I know. yeah, that's right. Right. And then, and then we get the, the old uh, tickets to the football. Football, basketball, the, whatever team it was. Oh, God, I accidentally said it. Sorry. God damn it. The football team. Or no, yeah, maybe it was basketball. I, maybe no, it was I'm Washington saying, Wizards. Was it football or was it basketball? I, maybe it was, I don't know. I hope I, it wasn't football because they made me, thinking it was, made me just say that team's name, which I, you know, should no one should ever do. Uh, and, but anyway. Yeah. But yeah, so this is where they do that setup, and I'm just going, oh, yes. That's when right. I started to dread it, right? When I saw this scene in the episode, I'm like, are they going to try to get the two of them together? Yeah. And they they seriously wanted to. Watch the rest of the season. They wanted to get the two of them to, together. It had to be, okay, it had to be that the fan base was so furious that I wasn't the only one. Yeah. That, Who was that so disturbed the, by this idea. This idea, right? That's the only rationale yep. that I could come up with for them not putting Reed and JJ together because they set it up in season 14. Oh, and yeah. Extensively. The, and, and then well, no, and they were doing it, as I said, they started doing it in season 13 with their attempts to butch up Spencer Reed. Yeah. That was all with this in mind. Yeah. And I think, and I think what happens, right? Yeah. I, the, it, I can only say that when you had to get the, when they had, when they had whoever was measuring, right. Fan, the fan reaction, fan reaction, yeah. that the reaction was, was more so negative. So horrified, in fact, that they that, realized they couldn't yeah. do it. Yeah. And th you know, again, thank heavens for small favors. 
but uh, they the show up. Sometimes the fans do yeah. actually get, get the right thing way. going. Yeah. yeah. And thank heavens for that. But so they, um, the, they go, they shoot, uh, they shoot, uh, Michael Hogan. That wraps up that part of the uh, story. We all come back. We never, no one mentions or is sad about Owen at all. Nobody breaks the news to friggin' Owen's girlfriend, who he moved heaven and earth to save the life of. That doesn't even come up. You mean Theo's like, girlfriend. Theo, sorry, Theo's girlfriend. Oh my god. Yeah. Sorry, Theo's girlfriend. Nobody, like, maybe Owen's dead, maybe he's alive. I know he's got a wife and son who'd be interested in finding out. The show's not interested in finding out. No. Like, and it reminds me of why I stopped watching Supernatural, when the show became sociopathically disconnected from the plight of the common people who get caught up in yeah. their this yeah. war between heaven and earth that the brothers are fighting like the show became so disinterested in those people and just so interested in showing all of the cool action they get up to and i'm like these people's disregard for all of these people's lives is disgusting to me, and I cannot continue watching their adventures. And I didn't. I gave up on um, Supernatural years. Yeah. And, like I'm talking like season six. You know, years and years and years. Well, yeah. Nine years ago. Yeah. And everybody tells me, yeah, but Crowley's really entertaining. And I'm like, I'm sure he is. I love that guy. I love Mark Shepard. But... We love Mark Shepard. <sighs> Mark Shepard's the best. Uh, <laughs> he really As is. As is his daddy. Ah, oh, Morgan Shepard, Blank Reg for life. We are, we will never stop loving you, Blank Reg. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe we'll have to do. Uh, we'll have take to take a look that. at uh, Max Headroom someday. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me if we wind up doing that, just given how important that show is. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, okay. so yeah, and then they wrap it up with, oh, the family's back together, and we're all supposed to be happy. But people like uh, Doctor Redman and myself are so disgusted with the team and their behavior, we can't really be happy with the fact that they're all back together. And it doesn't ring true. No, like, it, it no longer has any any resonance whatsoever. Yeah, there's no emotional me. resonance to this anymore. No, there no. just isn't. It's fake. It's phony. It's just the, the lies, and the lies get told, the same lies get told on the commentaries and stuff like that yeah. and and all of the press stuff that comes out of that comes out of criminal CBS, minds cbs yeah. it's all a crock and mm -hmm. so let's go to starter home please let's just this zip one, on to starter home shall yes, we yes this was the best of the three episodes oh totally i mean when, it's got a great big problem right in the core of it well, but yeah of but, the three episodes it's the best <laughs> yeah you know i mean every, everything is relative yeah okay this one did not upset me. No, not at all. <laughs> when nine sets of mummified female remains are excavated from a remote South Carolina cabin, the BAU sets out to determine if a two-person killing team was responsible or if the crimes were committed by a lone killer. Meanwhile, Rossi continues to rekindle his relationship with Crystal. Okay. Uh, so we've already talked about what a bad person David Rossi is. is was this episode directed by Joe Montaigne? No, no, it wasn't. It's rare for a Joe focused, uh, for a David focused episode to not be directed by <laughs> Joe Montana. Like that's actually kind of strange. Yeah, they brought uh, in no complaints though. Diana C. Uh, yeah, okay. no, he doesn't. He doesn't direct again until Luke. Oh, okay. Uh, Anyways, so yes, yes, as I was saying, um, we are used to uh, that kind of stuff. So 
Um, yeah, just David Rossi. He's dating Crystal. It's all coming to the season ender where they get married. Spoiler alert. You know, like, oh. I'm not, I mean, David Rossi's not a good person and I'm not invested in his life, you know? <laughs> so I don't well, we really... already discussed the fact that they're perfect for one another. Oh, no, they are. They are perfect for each other. Absolutely. 100%. So, I, I am glad that these two terminally shallow people have taken each other <laughs> off the market. That is that is my reaction. Yeah. And this. that is and that basically is all we have to say about that about part of this episode, yeah. right? That's fine. Uh, but let's move on to the actual episode, which is built around so there are these mummies and we get this crazy moment right away. So there, there's nine mummies and uh six of no, uh, seven of them are old and two of them are new, right? Or six and old and two, three are new. But anyway, uh, there's a difference between the ones that were killed back in the day by the father and in the present day by the uh, grandson, who is uh, still has a childlike mentality because he's never been allowed to grow up by his mentally ill parents, uh, grandparents. And so he's just repeating the cycles they taught him yeah. right? over and over and over again. He's never been allowed to mentally age. And you get a crazy moment in there. Where the doctor's like, there's no sign of them being uh, sexually assaulted or forcibly restrained. And I'm like, it's a mummy. It's a 20-year-old mummy. You cannot tell me that you were able to rule out sexual assault or bruises from being restrained on a 20-year-old mummy. That, that can't have happened. There's just no way. They're like it is completely desiccated flesh. Like there is there is no fluid whatsoever left. It is essentially like leather and stone you're cutting into, and you're telling me you were able to definitively say these women weren't sexually assaulted or restrained in any way? No, they're just that's not possible. It's absurd that you would say that. You're ridiculous people. I don't know why that part bothered me so much, but it really uh, did. Yeah, Bruce Zimmerman wrote it. Yeah, but it's um, like, just say it's, you don't know. Say, you say all you have to do is, we can't rule that out. Like, the bodies are in such a state that we can't rule that out. All I can tell you is, the fresher bodies were not sexually assaulted, uh, but they were, like, brutally beaten to death as, to, as opposed to the earlier ones. I don't even know if you could guarantee, like, find out that they were poisoned. Like, again, oh, actually, you know what? I take that back. 100% yeah. poison bad enough to kill you will 100% stay in your tissue. So, yes, you can find out. All she could say is, I can't rule out sexual assault or whatever, but I could, all you can tell you is these original ones were poisoned and the new ones were brutally beaten to death. Uh-huh. You know? And that should be all they have to say. But the fact that, like, this woman says she can rule out sexual assault, I'm like, nope. There is no way on earth you could do that. Given the well, condition those bodies were in, it just it couldn't have happened. And the only thing I can say is, well, it, yeah, like it, it, it doesn't, yeah, and it doesn't make any difference, yeah, to anything, yeah. right? Oh, totally. I, I mean, when you think about writing, like it's not an important point detail because no. it detail because it doesn't make any difference one way or another to the plot of the episode. No, except, not at all. You know, except that. Except that maybe here's 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 the problem. Please. Okay. If if the coroner was not capable of ruling out, and how the hell did she do this so fast? All of these bodies. I know. There's like nine it's like bodies, she guys. did it in in a couple of hours. 
I know, uh, right? you know, like it's again the time distortion problem with cr- with criminal minds. But that anyway, every week, yeah, that happens. This is like you just go say what? How the hell mm-hmm. do you know that? Do you know how many bodies you have to? At least CSI takes, yeah, understands that you can't. This is an ordeal. You know that fast, and she's got nine bodies to do. Yep. Yeah. So, and she's already definitively making those statements about nine different bodies. But the thing is, okay, here, here's here's the problem. If she can't rule out sex, right? Then the BAU is going to go down the sex road. Of course. And we can't have them going down the sex road because, well, because then we would never get where we need to get. Right? Yeah. They'd be they'd be all over the place, and they'd be looking for all sorts of other things, and they'd yeah. never find out anything, right? So. Yeah. And and besides, they don't find out anything. And if the daughter had not shown up, they never would have found this guy. They never would have. They would have never figured it out. No, the daughter just tells them, which, by the way, and this is the big problem at the core of the episode, which is it requires us to believe that this woman who seems to be, you know, a good and pleasant woman and a good mother to her three new kids and blah, 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 never checked in 30 years. Hey, whatever happened to that kid that I had when I was 16 years or 15 years old? Whatever happened with that kid? She never just looked into it even passively in 30 years? You never went to, never never made a phone call, never checked with anybody she knew from the town. Nothing in Not, 30 years. Never checked with the grandparents and the, the boy who was the father of the child. Yeah, and that's the thing. You wouldn't even have to check with your crazy grandparents. You could check with the pleasant people who you left the kid with. Yeah, yeah. they told you to leave town because they didn't want your crazy, crazy parents, parents having any influence on the kid. But that doesn't mean you can't, after a decade, check in on it. And ask how your son is doing. Exactly. Um, you know, my life, and just like, give them a heads up. My life has turned around. I got a degree. I've gotten married. I have kids. I would like to know how my first son is doing. And there's no, like, given the woman we see, there's no reason to believe she wouldn't do that. So at its core, the episode makes no sense. Yeah, like, and and the fact is that this is... And by the way, like, she lives close enough. This is what I was going to say. And, and, and the grandparents and the boy are all murdered. Yes. And it makes the newspapers. And I mean, maybe she had fled two states away and she only recently moved back. I guess. But at some point she's lived, she moved close enough, right? At some point she moved close enough that she saw on the news, the local news of this county, that they were looking for the, the couple's son, right? And so she's lived there for some amount of time, pretty close to the area. And in none of that time, she's like checked in on her ex-boyfriend and his parents and her son. Not once. No, it it makes zero sense. No, you know, no, I don't think she found out that they were looking for this boy. I think she found out that that they had found these bodies in the cottage. And because when she first comes in, because they confront her. The first thing she said. No, the first thing she says when she comes comes in is, hi, uh, they didn't have a son. I know because I'm their only child. I'm her daughter. She's specifically responding to the call they put out for information about their son. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I'll that's, back that's, off. Yeah, that's the specific line son. she says. Yes, yeah. but she doesn't tell them that she had a son. 
Just FYI. It's like, I love that she's like, we're looking, uh, they definitely, these, this couple definitely have a giant son who's killing people now. And she walks in and says, well, I'm their daughter and they never had a son. But, well, first off, they could have. You left 30 years ago. Yeah. You don't, like, so maybe they did have a son, but you know that they had a grandson. That's worth mentioning, don't you think? Yeah, well, but yeah, they need, but hey, they need the team to figure it out. So she's not allowed to offer frigging pertinent information that this character absolutely would offer. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so it's kind of a frustrating episode in that respect. Yeah. Uh, But on the upside, uh, I gotta say, like, genuinely a sad episode, I would say. Yeah, it's a sad episode. It's a sad episode. I'm glad the last woman survived. Oh yeah, of course. You know, well, you know, well, we I mean, technically we know, but yeah. you never know, you know? I, I know. mean, it, it is no, the it last was, it, she almost. had a rough. She had a yeah, it's like she's pulled out of the floorboards in the last seconds of the episode or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, that was a close one. Mm-hmm. Uh and you were very worried for this woman. It's a terrifying Yeah. situation she was trapped in and so it's like you watch and you're like, "Well, thank God. You know, thank God one good thing happened this week cuz the son's spending the rest of his life in an institution. He has no conception of how people are supposed to behave. Like, he's not a full person in any meaningful way. No. He's a, you know, 30-year-old man with the mind of a child. He's just going to yeah. be in an institution the rest of his life. Uh, so it's tragic. Like, it's, yeah. it's just a tragic episode all around. This woman is going to be full of guilt over yeah. leaving them behind. Like, it's, it's a yeah. bleak episode, and it's pretty well done. Like, there's this... Yeah. There is this thing where the whole plot of the episode doesn't make sense at its core, but, but if you if you let that go, yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's the the be- easily as you say the best of the three episodes, and it's not like we're even uh, you know judging on a sharp scale. Like it's no. it's pretty solid. Yeah, I, that's what I thought when I was watching it. Yeah. You know, yeah, okay, so you, you, yeah, I mean, there is this thing about the girl right that would never make sense that doesn't quite make sense Mm -hmm. but okay well let that go (laughs) and if you let that go that it's a pretty good episode and you feel you really feel when you finally figure out what's going on right with with uh, the man and why he's picked these older women right who were you know and and the the last victim does a pretty good job uh, yeah. I I think that she though that was my my only problem was in terms of her writing is that why would she hit him over the head when she really wasn't all that free like no to get out yeah she should have just because she could have I mean it was pretty clear that she'd sort of figured out she can play along with him oh yeah but she can't but not she doesn't figure it out enough. To, to wait until she's not tied up anymore. Yeah. That's yeah. when you start clobbering the man. Yeah, that's like you get his trust and everything else. You don't hit him on the head because then he's going to, yeah. Yeah. You know, and yeah. then it's just. She, I mean, I, you know, you can't blame her completely. No. It's, it's not something you, it's not something people are trained to deal with. But yeah, she almost figures out how to deal with it. And that's pretty well done. Yeah. And that's pretty well done. It's not quite as good as the one way back when where the only, the only girl who has ever figured out how to yeah. do Scarecrow. Scarecrow, right? Yeah. Our that's greatest, the, our greatest female. victim ever in the run of the show. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, but this one comes close. She comes yeah, close. She did a, she does a really good job. 
Yeah. So yeah. that she's uh, no, no, wait, sorry. The guy who pretended uh, that women were his uh, girlfriends and then murdered them when they didn't react. That that woman also did a really good job. But then her boyfriend came home and they all got murdered. So yeah. that woman also, yes. Yeah. So three women ever have done a really good job yeah. of coping with Mad Men on this show. Yeah. Uh, God, sad that the number is that low, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so yeah, I mean, it's it's not a bad episode, like no. at all. There's uh, there's this logic problem, but other than that, it's it's a pretty strong episode for Criminal Minds. Very tragic. I think the yeah. psychology, like the sun, is so warped. Yeah. Right. That like it, you kind of understand how he ended up this way because he is just so completely warped and disconnected. Well, so, yeah. yeah. It's, watching his watching his grandfather kill his, all these women kill all these women because he's trying to make the grandmother yeah. happy happy because they can't find a replacement daughter and the grandmother is just oh god yeah, yeah. no it's it's a bleak episode it's um, very, very one question i have for you i feel like in homes i mean i i haven't been to a home recently shouldn't they have plastic utensils no oh they do have metal ones oh yeah yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I'm like, so I'm like, sh- should she have access to a fork if she's got dementia? Well, yeah, but yeah, most patients with dementia would never don't do... try to hurt themselves. And, or and other the thing is, we don't know what kind of dementia she has, right? That's true. Like, yes. it may be, it may be, she doesn't really have dementia. Like they yeah. say, she has dementia. And you're right; it's not, not like really, this is like she's oh, okay. maybe got. Remember, she has been, she has been out of out of sync with anything for 30 40 years right since the daughter left right Right? and she's been and now she's getting old and there may be some problems setting in but she gets to wander away and and um and when she wanders away she because she can't connect with people you saw that with her grandson like she just couldn't connect like there was no connection in her face and that actress did a really good job of you know someone who is totally checked out i mean obviously a massively abusive husband oh yeah um but you don't kind of get that it's it's like they try and have this relationship like you that that if i was to complain about anything uh, i don't fully understand why the woman and goes so cuckoo but they were already cuckoo before so that's true. um but the thing is is that because then she's but she so lives in her head that she she said this thing, right, about how it's mm-hmm. not going to be the same. And then when they ask her about it and she kind of connects to what they're saying and realizes that she let something about her grandson slip, yeah. then she I, I could see her killing herself because she's been probably suicidal all her life, almost yeah. all her life since her daughter left. Oh, and honestly, like, but as we learned from the daughter, she's always had severe mental problems. Yeah. There's been no, no part in her life when she yeah. was stable. Yeah, she no. She just got worse when and, her daughter left. Yeah, and it's not, and there she is sort of sewing. Like, I found it a little strange that they let her be in the uh, room in her nightgown, but or yeah. that was a dress. I don't know. It looked but, like a nightgown. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'm going, hmm. It's a little, that's a little strange, but, uh, no, I mean, they do, but I would not think they weren't in the dining room. So why would a fork be there except for her to kill herself? Right. Yeah, exactly. That's, I guess that's what I thought was so strange about it, but you know what? Uh, I have been known to be too nitpicky about this stuff, so I'm not going to make a big deal out of this here. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh yes. Uh, so 
let's move on to our third episode of the night. Oh, heaven forbid. All right, hit me with it. Heaven forfend. Rule 34. When Uh. six women in the Washington metropolitan area receive packages containing disarticulated male appendages, the BAU juggles identifying the victim and establishing a connection between the six recipients. Meanwhile, oh. meanwhile's okay. The meanwhile yeah. work. Simmons and Christie try to communicate with their son, David, after he is suspended for hitting a classmate. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, as always, the stuff with Matt and Christie's fine. You know, it's yeah. like, uh, he's, he really does seem to be a pretty damn good father. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Like, he really does. Yeah. He does a good job of engaging with his, like, he takes his kids' problems 100% seriously. He's and a he, little rough at the beginning, but his wife, little. His w- yeah. wife brings him down. Yeah. Says, Cools just wait a sec a bit, here. But, you know, yeah, this is, yeah. Our son, I'm sure, has reasons for feeling the way he does. And doing and what he did. did and, yeah. and, and to his credit, Matt accepts that his wife is right. Exactly. And that's the thing. Like, there's no Matt. And this is why we talk about him as a just how we've seen him as a character. Like, Matt never really has any kind of like, there's no ego getting in the way of his parenting as a general rule. No. Yeah. No. Like, there's no, oh, well, I have to be right and I have to be seen as an authority and blah, 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 blah. Like, there is no toxic masculinity in the relationship that he has with his kids. And he likes never seen any example. And he likes his kids. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Um, And so that is a really nice touch. I think, like I said, they are, um, uh, it's, it's very good to see such a positive relationship. And again, we, we like this uh, relationship. We liked it on the other show. We liked it here. Yeah. Matt just seems to be a good dad. You know, he's yeah. the the one on the show that's a good dad. Yeah, and he's 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 a good husband as well. Yeah, he also seems to be a good husband. So yeah, you know, one hundred percent, we're in. And Matt, she's a, we're in and, favor of Matt Simmons. Yeah. Well, Matt Simmons and Christy Simmons, right? Yeah, the two of, great. Yeah. Two of them are uh, seem to be reasonably well balanced human beings. Yes. Yeah, I mean, we they are really that, are. Yeah, he just doesn't. You know. Um, uh, that, that's the strange thing, right? Is that you have Matt Simmons and you have Luke, whatever his last name is. Uh, Luke Galvez. Galvez. Luke in Alves. The Alves yeah. in the show, right? The two of them don't quite fit. No. Because they actually are um, less damaged. Than the rest of these people. Than the rest of the people in the team. Oh, yeah. For sure, right? And... Um, so anyway, I mean, even even Luke doesn't, as we find out at the end of 15, doesn't, has never crossed the line of asking, you know, or relating with Garcia. Yeah. <laughs> like, never mind. Okay, so <laughs> let's get to the, well, and even this episode, like, the, I'm just going. <sighs> well, I mean, it's just the. Um, I, it's this just... was such an unpleasant episode. It is. This was just like. Okay, so you're back. You you really think that now that you got rid of the DP, that that you're in the clear and you can do yeah. this kind of crap? Only yeah. only it's okay. It's because it's not women; it's men. I know. And and you've got your is- issues with homosexuality, of course. One yeah. more time. 
that's yeah, that's impossible I, I, to it, avoid. It just you know you can't avoid it. Well, yes, because he killed he killed his ex lover and his new husband. Yep. So you know, and and, and you're sitting there going, it was just unpleasant. No, it's a very unpleasant yeah. episode to watch. One hundred percent, I agree with you on that front. Um, it's a very unpleasant episode to watch, and uh, it's and because it's based on uh, the real story of Luca Magnata, the Canadian yes. from oh. Toronto and Montreal, who you know cut up a guy and mailed the pieces to like the uh, the offices of a bunch of political parties and I think maybe a newspaper who's just like desperate to be famous, right down to the fact that this guy got you know sent to an asylum and whatnot for uh, murdering small animals. And of course, Magnata first got on the radar of people because he had been mur- posting videos of murdering kittens. Sorry to tell you that that really happened. But yeah. This scumbag yeah. murdered kittens and posted videos of it online. Cause he was a worthless scumbag. Uh, and I mean, I'm sure Luca Magnata had an awful life. Like, I don't know anything about the man's life. I have no interest in learning anything about the man's life. I don't care. But uh, this episode is a, you know, not beyond the... Re- like, it's a pretty straightforward sense about the kind of person he was. Uh, the only real addition is that him having this partner in crime. Yes. Like, that is a complete fabrication that this episode does to give us an extra villain. Yeah, that was not a part it, of yeah. the yeah. And to put it on and to put it on the dark web. Yeah, to put it on the dark web. The dark web so that it's really really hard to find and only Penelope can find it except for all of the other people that are on that website. So, um what I love about this episode and this episode is I mean it's uh, it's a terrible episode, don't get me wrong, but the one thing I love about it is it continues the show's um, you know, basic Lack of understanding of how anything works and getting <laughs> stuff wrong all of the time. And I'll tell you what it was this time. They even, even the title of the episode completely misunderstands. Cause they're talking about how like she has an extreme fetish porn website, right? That's what she had run. She had always run an extreme fetish porn website. And rule 34, if you can imagine it there, uh, if it exists, there's pornography of it. And I'm like, yeah, that has nothing to do with fetishes, and that has nothing to do with pornography. That well, it does have something to do with pornography. There's nothing that has to do with fetish or extreme content or snuff films. That line, the concept of Rule Thirty Four, refers specifically to fan fiction. It's a line about fan fiction and the need for fan communities to take ownership of things by making pornography of it. Yeah. Right, and so it. If there's a thing, there's porn of it is a reference to the fact that, like, it doesn't matter what property you like. It doesn't matter what thing you liked as a child or an adult, blah, 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 blah. Someone out there is writing a story about the characters from that thing having sex with each other. Like, that's... Or doing art and blah, 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 blah. So, like, Rule 34 does not refer in any way, shape, or form to extreme fetish pornography. I'm sure there is extreme fetish pornography about those ca- fictional characters, but it's not about just people making extreme fetish pornography. So yeah, the show gets a very common internet term completely wrong, and they also titled the episode after it, making them look extra bad. Well, remember, the writers do their own research. 
That's true. I keep forgetting that. And then they push it and then they think that they can just kind of, God only knows what what you find out. I have never Googled Rule 34 on the, yeah. I mean, I know about. You've heard the concept, yes. Well, no, no. And, I mean, I know about, you know, the the whole fan fiction and what people do with some of these characters, you know, and then. Absolutely. The, and, then and then what's so funny is when you go to a convention every now and then somebody will ask, well, did you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. The fan fiction, right? And oh, absolutely. All, all these different, you know, that because they, it does tend very much to, um, to to play with sexuality oh, yeah. of these of these particular characters. So, oh, all absolutely. of these different characters. But it is funny at Star Trek, you know. Kind of oh yeah, and I mean the the oh, concept of it, like the the mainstream the mainstream acknowledgement of of this concept yeah. of Rule Thirty Four actually started with. People writing fan fiction about Kirk and Spock being a couple, yeah, like back in the seventies, yeah, and like taking <laughs> these, taking these like chapbook or like these little pamphlet erotica stories they wrote yeah. about the two of them having sex and putting and selling them at Star Trek conventions, yeah. like that's how this whole thing got started. I mean, I'm obviously pornography about characters you liked has always existed. Don't get me wrong. Fan fiction has always has always existed. Like the you know the uh, what what's it called? Um, Don Quixote. If you notice when you try to read Don Quixote, it's broken into two parts, right? And the reason for that is Don Quixote was originally two different books published years apart from one another, and it's now commonly published as one super book. Uh, which is like what 800, 900 oh, pages My usually. It's, it's gigantic. Is I have a penguin paperback copy upstairs, and the print is so small. You know, yeah, and it's so thick, even with the small print. Yeah, yeah, because both, but yes, because it is book one and book two. Yeah, and and the thing is, they're written apart, and there's this weird part in book two where he goes to hell and meets another Don Quixote, a fake Don Quixote, and. There, I mean, luckily, I I had no idea what was going on there. Luckily, my copy that I got for university, as everyone, why else would you read Don Quixote, right? Well, um, I... anyway, well, no, there's a good reason. It's it's a very interesting book. I was just being playful. Uh, but anyway, uh, there's there was a note in there, an explanatory note to like tell the audience what's going on with this really weird sequence where he meets meets another Don Quixote, and what's going on is. After the product, the release of the first book, someone wrote an entire fan fiction sequel and published it. And Cervantes was annoyed because people thought this was a real product that he had made and it was the official continuation of it. And so he specifically calls out the fan fiction author in Don Quixote book two. So yeah, so fan fiction is as old as fiction, is what we're trying to say. Yeah. So it's not a new concept. I mean, the whole concept of the rapture is literally just Bible fan fiction. Yeah. Like, anyway. There's nothing... To, but, so uh, it's, it's a well-versed trend, but the way they use... I just wanted to make it clear that the way they use the term Rule 34 in this episode has no relation to the actual concept of Rule 34. So yes, Criminal Minds, as usual, wrong about everything. Well, yes. Can I just say something Please. about Don no, Quixote? Of course. The bizarre thing is, is I have never been able to read it through. Oh. Uh, it was never on my. It was never on my um, list of compulsory texts in oh. my reading. 
uh, and, and when I was do, studying English yeah. lit, right? Yeah, in your cla- classroom reading, yeah. Yeah, in at university, uh, for whatever reason it didn't. But I always thought I should read it, but I already knew about the windmill things. But yeah. it turns out that it was one of my mother's favorite books. And so I've always said to myself, really? I have to read this thing through. Yes, because she read To help you understand it. your mother, absolutely. Yeah. She read it in her teens. Like, if you want to understand me, go read Girl from the Limberlost. Um, yeah. because I've just started rereading that and going, Oh God. So this is why it appealed to me <laughs> when yes. I was like a kid, like little. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, Don Quixote is, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing. And of course I do not know how many people, my mother went to Peru and brought me back a statue of Don Quixote. I yeah, have, so she had always associated no. herself with this book. Well, yeah, I'm not so sure whether she associated herself, but I'm getting all the tilting at windmill stuff. Yeah, like I'm the yeah. one that's I'm the one that's, you know, that spent your life literally tilting, figuratively tilting, tilting at windmills. Well, yeah. and they say that. I mean, my friends, it's it's not like my mother's the it's only who you one. are. It's your whole character. Yeah. Constantly tilting at windmills. Yes. It's a family tradition. What can I say? Yes. By the way, in case you always wondered what that means, tilting is another word for jousting. Uh, A lot of people don't know that, so when they hear tilting at windmills, they don't know what that means. It means to charge at something with a lance. Yeah. And Uh, he always... Yeah, Yeah, he's tilting at windmills, and if you haven't seen Don Quixote, or gone and watched the musical The Man from La Mancha... Man of La Mancha, which is a wonderful musical. Okay, then you need to... What it is, is of course, he keeps thinking the windmills are his enemies. Yeah, are giants. They are yeah. monstrous giants that must be defeated. Yes. And he, uh, and he is, he imagines himself a knight and he has to defeat him. Yes, like, re- like, like, like Spencer Reed. So like, just like Spencer us. Reed. Yeah, we Oh no, Diego Don Quixote is going to be a perfect, uh, read in for that. So yes, that's okay, what so, Rule 34, I'm just saying, that's my little education for everybody. That's what Rule 34 is. And Criminal Minds is so bad at everything, they can't even get that right. Yeah, okay. But, okay, but what I want to know is who, is, then who is Reed Sancho Panza? Garcia? Ooh, I guess. Cause who, who enables Reed the most? JJ. JJ. JJ's is Sancho Panza. There, we just figured it out. Yeah, JJ enables She's him the one the who most. enables him the most. Yeah. Yeah. And talks about what a genius he is and blah, 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 blah. So, yeah. And how he's be such a good father and how she ne- By the way, people, in case you're wondering, we're never letting that go. <laughs> no, we're, we're never, never letting, letting go. The ridiculous idea that Reed would be a good father. Yeah. No, 100%. He would be a terrible father. We cannot stress that enough. Spencer and, Reed wouldn't be and, a good guy. And we and we did a whole podcast on that that, you'll, yes. that you've yeah, already you've heard seen, so. Yeah, let's yeah, let's so just, just FYI. Is there anything uh, so else yeah. to say about well, this no? But episode? in the episode, well, because it's it's one of these things where it's literally like the easiest thing in the world uh, to figure this guy out, uh, which is the easiest thing in the world to figure this guy out because it's like literally he's just killing people he knows. Yeah, and, they, and the woman they bring in essentially coyly admits that she is his partner in crime, huh. right? So once you've got those two, those two pieces of information, where, where could he be hiding out? Well, she owns a, a porn torture dungeon or did until recently. Oh, you're right. Okay. That makes sense. Let's just go there. Yeah. And it's done. Yeah. It's not hard to find him at all. And this is the episode. And this is the thing I really wanted to talk about in this episode. Uh, so I, I'm glad you reminded me to get here. 
it actually, for the first time ever, digs into the ethics of writing true crime. Yeah, I know. Yeah, okay. We were going to get there. Yes. Yeah. It's sort like, of, sort of. Yeah. Only to, only a little. It only does it the slightest amount. Uh-huh. Just, it, it raises the possibility, the question that maybe David isn't helping the world yeah. by writing all this true crime and helping people get obsessed with serial killers. Because, spoiler alert, all serial killers are also obsessed with true crime. Uh, yes, and we... Um... Yeah, and so between season, we've just finished doing the Zodiac. Yeah, I know. Right, and and it, it's I, about how it's entirely about the obsession with true crime and yeah. what that can do to people, and the birth, and how Robert Graysmith's book is kind of the birth of modern true crime writing because Robert Gray because it is see true crime writing before that right was I think frequently formed as a narrative about the story and a, a ton of it was written liking cold blood. Yeah. Where you were trying to turn a story into a, like what really happened into a narrative and yeah. in cold blood's amazing. I'm not saying don't read in cold blood, but it is a fiction writer or a guy like with fictional tendencies, turning a thing that really happened into a story so we can understand it. Yeah. Whereas what Robert Graysmith did and what I think subsequent uh, writers do is they turn true crime like into amateur investigations. Yeah. Like these things are all written like their synopses of police investigations. Right. And that is what the post Graysmith world of this is like. So it makes everyone feel like they're a cop. It makes everyone feel like they're part of the investigation just by reading the book. Yeah. Whether or not the person has been ca uh, caught, which they often have, like that's how these things are formatted. And that's the world they're trying to create a world where kind of everybody's a detective, you know? <laughs> and that is why uh, Reddit has gone so nuts. Could, but that's the culture of, um, that is the culture of true crime aficionados these days. It's this idea that, you know, anyone could be the one who solves a crime. And I mean, it doesn't help that sometimes regular people do help solve crimes. Mm -hmm. So it encourages this kind of attitude. And I'm not saying this attitude is better or worse, but I will say that it's like, there is the, there is not as strong a line between true crime and pornography as I think people would want there to be. Oh, I think people want there to be, but the no, because if you like, there's um, there's a podcast on the CBC yeah. that people could go and listen to, right? That that take old cases that haven't been solved and go, and and what they do is try to solve these cases. Yeah, they're cold is cases. That somebody knows. Oh no, somebody knows something is a different one. Uh, uh no, somebody knows something is yeah one of them, and then there's that's one of them on the CBC. Yeah. And then there's, oh, what the hell is it called? I can't remember. It's a long time ago. But but Somebody Knows Something is probably the classic uh, yeah, of that the classic kind of thing. Yeah, it's the classic Graysmith-style thing yeah. of an obsessive reporter coming and saying, I can do this. I can figure out this this baffling disappearance. And more, more often than not, there's no solution, no real no. solution. No. And um, it's, it's, it's strange... It's because it becomes unsatisfying. Because unless you get somebody, unless you get somebody to confess, 
Yeah, you're never going to know this if, stuff. You know, I mean, because and the problem is, is that the biggest problem about these these books and everything else, right? And that wasn't addressed in this episode is that it, it it's that it makes the police look bad. Oh yeah, as if somehow or another that all of these plain people could do it. You know, yes. well, yeah, yeah, these ordinary people could do it, but the cops couldn't like in San Francisco, like in the Zodiac. We didn't talk about this much when we no. were talking about the book on the Zodiac. So this is just a continuation of last of Tuesday's last episode. Zodi- yeah. Or oh, last, no, no, it was last Thursday's episode. Yeah, last yeah. Thursday's episode. So this Zodiac is kind of a episode. continuation because of this in this episode with David Rossi and the question. And it's strange that he brings up Gideon as the one that brings up the ethical issues. Yeah. Uh, but it does make the cops look bad. The beauty of Zodiac, and we did talk about that there, is that you saw what kind of obsession it took on his part. Yeah. And that was in a time, okay, when you could break those kinds of rules. Yeah. And and he could go. I mean, no cop. Like, if you take a look at all of the cop buildings and the rest of it, like, there's no cop that would let you in. Like, like that. And to get into the file rooms. Just to see. I know, right? Like that wouldn't happen today. Like there's no, there's no basic bars on the door. There's nothing. It was a different. Time. Like literally, it's just a storefront style thing where you can just walk yeah. in and talk to the cops, and then please let me into the evidence room. Yeah, you know, and the cops. Yeah. Say, oh well, shit. Yeah, and he unlocks yeah, the door for him and says, "Yeah, because there's just one piece of information I need. I know what it is, and I know, I know exactly where it is. Where it is. Yeah. Right? Um, the these, you know, it." it it's a. It was a different time, and um... yeah, and now that. <laughs> but now the weird part is, like, everybody gets to be Robert Graysmith these days because Robert Graysmith like lived at a time when, if you wanted to find something out, you had to go to a place and talk to a person, and it's like now what kinds like so much research has already been done. There are so many publicly available resources. That it's like it becomes true crime is like a game that everybody's playing together. Yeah, it's 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 a strange it's a strange strange sort of world, right? That you can, and the funny thing is, is that basically all that it accomplishes is yeah. that all of these people who are going down these routes of trying to figure out who did what crime and blah blah blah, yeah, um, and they and what happens is is that they. Um, they end up, well, what we end up having is sort of all of these different factions who have yeah. come up with different solutions and arguments yeah. and then, then putting, you know, putting the police under the microscope, the mm-hmm. detectives under the microscope for what they're doing or the justice system under the microscope. It doesn't help, of course. I mean, the, the only good thing about it is that, yeah, I mean, the police system has been corrupt, but. In, at times, oh, yeah. and they've put people in in prison who shouldn't be there. They've they've murdered people, as we all know. I call criminal criminal. I call capital punishment first degree murder by the state. So um, uh, it is, and it's so premeditated. They, yeah. It's premeditated homicide. It literally is, and sanctioned by the state. So what happens is is that you know they did. You know, with with the kind of justice system, you do put people in jail, and you do who didn't kill do them. it. Yeah. Which is why all 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 reasonable thinking countries get rid of capital punishment because yeah. the problem is that you could 
be wrong unless you yeah. literally watch you are not infallible yeah. yeah unless you Nobody. literally watch someone doing it yeah you're There's, not 100% sure like yeah. if you ask me personally am i fine with literally any rapist being executed yes any rapist doesn't matter kill them right away i'm totally fine with that but because there exists the possibility of somebody getting an identification wrong yeah right because that exists i can't be in favor of the death penalty yeah. like yes literally every rapist deserves to die that's just a fact but right? but but how can you know for sure so what i've always said to women is kill your rapist we'll figure it out later <laughs> We'll figure out the legal stuff later. But again, sadly, that only works for white women uh, killing yeah. non-white people. Because the world sucks and the justice uh, justice system hates women. But that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, yeah. As, 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 well, nobody listening to this much is on my Facebook feed. But I did put up that uh, that thing that I talked about. Okay, never mind. I talked about it in a previous podcast. In I an think. episode, okay. So. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, I guess what we're getting at here, and this is the part that I find so interesting, is this episode, like, it comes so close to having something to say yeah. about Dave because the guy's a huge fan of his. And the guy, part of why he committed these crimes, I mean, yeah, it's because betrayal and he's a that, messed up person. But he's going blah, to be blah, blah, famous. Blah, blah. But he wants the fame yeah. that David will give him. And David bargains for a man's life with the fame. And so we go down this role of saying, if he hadn't spent it, and I mean, and I'm not saying, you know, uh, I'm not saying these books create psychopaths. No. I'm saying to quote Scream, they make psychopaths more creative. You know, had this guy not been, I'm not saying he wouldn't have done something horrible, but if he hadn't lived in a world where there was the implicit celebration of this kind of criminal by the media? Yeah. Would he have committed these kind of outre, extra brutal crimes where he sent the the body parts to people to make them part of his narrative? Because he thought that being part of his narrative was the best reward he could give somebody. I don't think he does any of that. It, like, would he still have killed people? Maybe, right? There's a good yeah. chance he might have. But would he have turned it into a public act? Yeah, the way he does, and I don't know that he would have. Yeah, it's 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 a it really is an interesting issue. Always, yeah, that that business because it's just time and again. All I could think of when you were talking to is I'm going, yeah, HLN, like all of those things. Yeah. Um that are on, you know, and Danny, what's his face's uh, new series is back again. Oh, evil, evil people are horrible people. You know, the guy who's Marky Mark's brother. Oh yes. Yes. Dan, uh, uh, Donnie Wahlberg, Donnie Wahlberg, Donnie Wahlberg on blue bloods. Yes. Yeah. He has Donnie Wahlberg on blue bloods. Yeah. He has a crime show. Cause everybody's on HLM. Everybody's got these crime shows and they, it's constant. And I'm going, I don't need to see another show about the BTK killer. I don't need, I if I like, there's the odd thing I've watched, but even Chris Cuomo kind of like some of those were really interesting, partly because they are ones that you just don't hear about or know about. Yeah. And he was looking for different things. Um, uh, but again, it's, it's because people will 
watch it and people yeah. want to watch it. And some will consume are- this. Thing. They will always consume this kind kind of content. People have, and the thing is, that's even that's <laughs> as true or more true of pornography. Yeah, you it's know? been around since the beginning of time. Literally the beginning of time, <laughs> or at least when somebody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've got such early. You know, it's just that people. The pornography was sometimes I think it was thought of slightly differently, right? Because yeah. sex was slightly different than oh, of course, before than Christmas. our modern conceptions thereof. But I mean, pornography yeah. has always existed, and uh, uh, like in any in any age, there has always been pornography. And this fascination with crime, it's not that different because it's about examining base human urges, the extreme range of human experience, yeah. right? It's it's. True crime isn't as far from pornography as people want it to be. And this show comes so close to admitting that. Yeah. And then it backs away and lets Dave go back to his, you know, $5 million house. Yeah. That unlike, he made from being a violent pornographer. Unlike 8mm. Oh, oh yeah. Well, 8mm. That's what, well, I mean, you've already heard us talk about 8mm. And if you it's haven't just, yet and you've, you're coming in late, go back and find our episode on 8mm. I um what I love about um what uh, is the what I love about the the fact that pornography is literally everywhere is it was really hard there were a lot of laws from around the turn of the century in America actually a little before the turn of so like you know 1880s <laughs> right through the 20s making it basically impossible to um get pornography uh they made it you know hugely illegal to make it was very hard to find and, you know, like, making pornographic films, which started right after films started being made. Like, uh, after they started making uh, photographs, pornographic photographs were a huge deal. And it's a fun fact that it's like everybody in the, everybody in the Civil War, like just all of those soldiers just had dozens of po- pornographic photographs on them all the time. It was just, it was like the most common thing to show up in a man's kit. So it's like, there's never been a time in America where they weren't crazy for porn, but it was monstrous illegally illegal for like 50, 60 years. And in that same time period, it is not a coincidence that there are endless like statues of naked women going up and statues of naked men going up all over. People are like, no, this is art. It's just art. You can't question it. It's art. It's obviously, that's a person from Greek mythology. I just don't want to have breasts in my garden. It's a character from Greek mythology. Yeah. <laughs> to the point, and it went, it got so bad that there's literally like, I think it's Ohio. You can look this up. I don't, if it's not Ohio, I apologize. But there's like Ohio statues of the Confederate war dead is literally like a topless woman holding up her breasts for people to look at. It's insane how obviously this is just a pornographic statue that someone convinced the government of Ohio to pay them to make. So it's like this, these two urges, these twin urges, the sex and death urges, Erato and Thanatos? Am I remembering that right? Eros. Eros and Thanatos, sorry. Eros and Thanatos. Erato is the, is the muse, right. Eros and Thanatos, like, they're so intertwined and... I think it would be better if people just admitted the prurient nature of their love of true crime 
and just dealt with it head on the same way that people have to confront why they look at pornography or read pornography. Or, yes, some people these days in the thing that we're going to be covering later this season, like, listen to pornography? (laughs) There's a whole episode about that culture, and I'm like, this is bonkers. But so, yeah, like, it's so, it's it's just frustrating when you watch an episode come close to have something to say and wanting Dave to confront his complete how he's complicit in this because he they always say oh well you can't mythologize these guys that's all dave does yes that's all dave does is mythologize these guys he makes he puts it into a fancy package and he convinces himself that this is for the greater good no it's not it's so you can make money yeah he is he is writing there's no reason people need to know all of of the details of these crimes yeah and i'm sitting here going you know, I mean, well, I do know that I would have stopped watching Criminal Minds if we weren't <laughs> doing the podcast. Oh, because, yeah. you know, um, and this episode is a classic. Oh, uh, why? Yeah. You know, I have said many, many times, how the hell was this on at like eight o'clock or nine o'clock? I know. You like know. severed heads, severed limbs. A guy being tortured, you know, a pornographic studio, a woman who, you know, this this dominatrix woman who's putting up a man, like convincing a guy to cut up her enemies, which is going to happen later this season as well. God, this is a badly written season of television. <laughs> they do basically this story again later this year where a manipulative woman brainwashes a guy into uh, committing the murders she wants. Well, guess what? We'll uh, we'll talk about uh... cross that bridge when it comes to it. All right, so yeah. yes, um, so you can see why, despite the rat, you know, at its core okayness of that middle episode, this season has been a disaster uh, so-, so far. And it's only—I mean, I'm not going to say it's going to get worse. The absolute low point of the show so far is Spencer Reed turning a hero over to a cult to get killed. Yeah, because you have vi- you have lost all moral authority spencer reed yeah you're just a monster now and i don't know how you have a job after his actions in the first episode i but... told you they're family yeah, yeah, yeah they're family where is their supervision oh they have so little that they actually consider making emily head of the fbi yeah that's how little supervision these people have. all right uh so let's wrap it up here if you want to do the homework and be ready for next week's episodes what episode? Um, episode <laughs> of this? What episodes of the show should they watch? Innocence. Which one is Innocence? The when, title means nothing to me. When a woman from Tallahassee, Florida, is bludgeoned to death, and her husband's alibi Ooh. rules him out, the BAU works with local authorities in Tallahassee and Arlington, Virginia, too. And then Prentice grows increasingly concerned about Garcia's behavior. Tells I you nothing. Literally, no. it's crazy. You read that, and I still have no idea. No, what that no, neither do I. Is actually. it the one? Is it the one with the guy who's trying to record? Sc- no, the one where he's trying to record screams is a different episode. Yeah, no, all right. No. Um, number five. Okay, well, this one you'll remember. The tall man. Oh yeah, no, it's it's the it's the what do you call it? The oh, Slender Man episode that redirected the last. I read. Oh my God, the last Matt Goobler episode of Criminal Minds. God, that's so sad to say. And written by Breen Fraser. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, they're a partnership. Yeah. They've always they've been a partnership for years. I'm not surprised. Yeah. It's not a great episode, but at least Matt Goobler does some a little bit of interesting stuff with it. Yeah. And then okay, we go. get to number six, Luke. Okay. 
Damn. We're going to have a lot to talk about next week. <sighs> yeah. Oops. And Joe Mantegna directs that one. That one. Yes. You mentioned that earlier. All right. So join us back here for those three episodes, four, five, and six. It should be a blast. Uh, in addition to that, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if there's any profiling related fiction you'd like us to check out, please drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We'll see you back. Oh, yes. If you're listening to this on some sort of a podcatcher or podcast app, be sure to rate and review the show because that is how new people find it. We'll see you back here next week for more of season 14 of Criminal Minds. But until then, I want to say au revoir. And have a good weekend. Profiling Criminal Minds is a member of the Kinks Podcasting Network. 